you became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian at 22, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Fantastic. Um, so what were you doing beforehand? Were you kind of finding yourself or...? Um, yeah, I was actually attending a, a public university and I was attaining a bachelor's of science degree and I was very much a hardcore atheist. Um, not just atheist in the sense that you know, I had the attitude, oh, I just don't believe in God, but I actually was very anti-Christian and I had a pretty tragic uh, teenage years and my parents were divorced and a number of things and led me to that place where I just distrusted God and had no interest. And then I ended up uh, almost committing suicide, but God divinely intervened. And I actually found my faith in a public university where many young people of faith go and lose their faith. They actually found my faith there. And so it was a pretty unique experience. Amazing, amazing. And I'm, I've read here that your greatest desire is to lead young people into a deeper, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, that's uh, certainly, you know, I had that experience when I was 22 when I came to the Lord, and certainly I want to see other young people be strong for him, and uh, you know, there's so much evidence in our favor for the existence of a, of a kind, loving God, and you know, I think there's considerably more evidence for that than what the other side claims there is evidence to say that there is no God, and so it's my burden to really share that evidence and, and, um, and help young people find their way in this world and help them find their way to their creator and because their lives are just going to be much better much more fulfilled and much happier when they're in a relationship with him yeah i serve in the michigan conference and it's a real blessing to join you i've been there before for prayer warriors and uh, a couple other things i think i did a online thing a while back q a panel with other group so it's always a blessing blessing to serve our brothers and sisters across the pond and uh, we always joke about our differences between America and England, but we're all in the same boat right now with this lockdown. And uh, that's what I'm gonna share with you this morning. And our lockdown has been extended as of yesterday. It was supposed to end today, <clears throat> and uh, not today, but in one week, but it's been extended to June 12th. And so we've been in lockdown now for, I don't know, 10 or 12 weeks. And it's been an interesting uh, thing to experience, but you know, I uh, thankfully we have a some nice property that we live on. We have about two acres, and and uh, we're out in the country, so it's a blessing. But you know, I started thinking about this, and I thought, is is quarantine or lockdown? Is that a biblical thing? And as I began to look at a number of examples in the scripture, I actually found that the lockdown and quarantine and isolation, it's actually a very biblical thing. And in fact, many times God called his people into lockdown. He called his people into quarantine. And so we're going to look at some examples today of that. And we're going to try to find an answer of how we can make the most out of this. And how this can actually turn out to be a blessing rather than a hindrance. And uh, one thing I fear is that people will are, are very anxious to get out of the lockdown, 
so that things can get back to normal. I would propose this morning that God does not want us to get back to normal in the sense that we were normal previously, that he actually wants us to have a different experience uh, when we come out of this lockdown. And I don't, you know, people often ask, well, has God uh, sent this lockdown? Has he sent this COVID-19 as like a plague or something into the world? Well, I don't know that. You know, certainly there is in the Bible examples of God bringing judgments upon different people. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is that I don't think that God wants us to go back to normal when we get out of this. He wants a change in our hearts. He wants to change in our churches. He wants a change in our focus on the mission that he has for us. And so that's what the message is going to be based upon today. I think it will be relevant for all of us and helpful to all of us. So why don't we have a word of prayer? And then I do have a PowerPoint that I'll switch over to. Uh, we'll, we're going to look at five examples of lockdown in the scripture and how each one became a life-changing and actually a world-changing experience, not just for the individual, but also for those who were involved and engaged in the same experience. So let's pray together and then we'll, uh, we'll begin. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this wonderful experience that we have to, though being on lockdown, we can still uh, worship you. We can still experience a unity and a brother and sisterhood. We can still experience a congregational sense, so to speak, through Zoom. And we want to ask that your spirit be here with us today, that you keep our hearts and minds focused, that you keep our ears open and attentive and that you would draw close to each one of us. This is our prayer, and we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So isolation and lockdown, a biblical perspective. And uh, I mentioned that uh, this lockdown or quarantine is, is, has been kind of going on for several weeks now. Almost a quarter of our year has been spent in, in lockdown or isolation. But, you know, as I thought about this, this should not actually be new to us because our entire planet has actually been on lockdown for 6,000 years. Isn't that interesting? But we have been on lockdown now for several thousand years. And so our little planet has been isolated because of sin for thousands of years. And so we have been disconnected from heaven, disconnected from the universe, for a very long time, in fact, since shortly after our, exist, our, our birth as a world. And so this is something that we should actually kind of be used to already, although we don't think about it. And that shows actually our great disconnect, our great lack of understanding of spiritual things. And it shows our, 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 how we have grown so used to sin in this world that we don't even think of ourselves as being isolated. But God is just giving us kind of a micro picture of what has already existed for a very long time. And obviously, we're thankful that God has intervened and he is drawing, he, he has given the solution and he has given us the answer to be coming, uh, coming out of that lockdown with all of the rest of heaven. All right, so we're going to look at some biblical examples, as I mentioned. And uh, we're going to start with Abraham. So if you have your Bibles, wherever you are, 
I'll invite you to turn in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 9. And right in the very beginning, I mean, I could, I'm giving you five examples in this study, but I could give you hundreds. I mean, starting with Adam and Eve, they were sent into lockdown out of the Garden of Eden. And there's just numerous examples. We're going to look at five, I think, that will really impact us. So let's go here to Genesis chapter 12. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, this is very interesting because this is a classic example of lockdown and how Abraham responded to it. In fact, it was God himself that called Abraham into this lockdown. He says, get out of your country to a land that I will show you. Now, imagine you being in prayer, your own experience in your own bedroom, and you're praying to God, and you have God speak to you, and he says, I want you to get out of your country of the UK. Now, it's one thing if God calls you to be a missionary, and he says, I want you to leave the UK, and I want you to be a missionary to Malaysia or Africa or Asia. You know, you'd feel, uh, you would feel maybe an initial uneasiness about, hey, I'm going to leave my country, I'm going to another place. But you would find some level of comfort when God said, I want you to go to Malaysia or, or Africa or wherever, because you would kind of know where you're going. It's not as difficult to leave a place when you know where you're going and you know what to expect. You can research it and whatever. But God says to Abraham, get out of your place and go to a place that I'm going to show you. And in essence, he's saying, I will show you, but I'm not going to show you now. You're going to just go and you're going to go wherever I direct you. And that's the place that I'm going to lead you. That's that's pretty intense. So Abraham was leaving his family. He was leaving his culture. He was leaving everything that he knew to go to a place that he had no idea about, no understanding of, and God, all he had to hang on to was a promise from God that I'm going to do something great in your life, and through what I do in your life, I'm going to bless every family that will ever live upon the earth. That's pretty incredible. So here we have an example of God actually calling Abraham into a lockdown, and he left his father's house he left his family. You know, God here is not trying to make a pretty picture for Abraham. He actually says three things. He says, leave your country, leave your family, and leave your father's house. You know, leaving his family and his father's house are actually not the same thing. When he said, leave your father's house, he was saying, you're going to leave even your family's wealth behind, your inheritance everything, all the wealth that you would get from your father, I'm calling you to let go of that. That's pretty profound. So God is saying to Abraham, you leave everything behind and you come at, and you follow me and I'm going to give you one thing right now. I'm going to give you a promise. 
that I'm going to be with you. How many of you, us would be ready and able to do that? <laughs> well, we're going to find out that God is calling us to do that here in a minute. But notice here in verse 4, it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Now that's pretty That's pretty powerful. Abraham did all of those things. And he had lots. So he had... He had the, the people within his household. So, you know, in the lockdown, you're not allowed to be six feet from anyone else except the people that you live with. So he had the people that he lived with, just like that's what we have today in our lockdown. Uh, but that's all he had. And he had a promise. So I'm going to invite you to turn over to chapter 15. I'm not going to read the rest of those verses. You can go back and read them later. But chapter 15 and verse 1, I want you to just see this very powerful promise that God gives. Verse 1, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Imagine that the Lord says to you in the midst of this, and he does, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Friends, we are told through the spirit of prophecy, the book Great Controversy, the, the, the nine-volume set of the testimonies and other passages, that there is coming a time when every earthly support will be cut off from us. And I'll tell you that I, we don't set dates and we don't know all the details of the future. We have a broad perspective through the spirit of prophecy and the book of Revelation. But I'll tell you, I don't think that that time is very far off. I think it's very close. And we're told that every earthly support will be cut off. And our entire dependence will have to be upon the God of heaven. And this is, this is we think, oh, wow, this is going to be what an experience. But this is not a new experience biblically. The experience that we've had at the end of time will have been pictured, is pictured, through various biblical characters throughout time. And Abraham is one of those examples where every earthly support was cut off and God hands him a promise and says, I am with you. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your reward, your award and reward. And so this experience Abraham had, and it's a lesson to us that very soon, you know, today, if you, if you get cut off from everything, if you lose your job or whatever, many times we all have somebody that we can turn to, whether it's our parents or our aunt and uncle or a brother or a sister or a friend or even the church family. We have somebody oftentimes to turn to. But many of these people in the scripture who went into biblical lockdown, they had no one to turn to except the Lord. And friends, we need an experience today that's going to prepare us for that day. And during this time, God is giving us, we might mumble and grumble and complain because we're stuck at home and we have nothing to do and this and that. We, have, we can't go anywhere except to the grocery store. But God is giving us this time as a gift. He's called us into, into a lockdown to spend more time with him in prayer and Bible study and I'll talk a little bit about this later, but you can still witness to your friends and family. Uh, you still have an opportunity to do that. But God is handing us 
this book full of promises. Abraham had one promise. God is giving us a book of promises to claim during this time because he wants our hearts and our characters to be transformed. So don't despise this time. Don't waste this time. Use this time to be drawing closer to him. Now, I have a statement here. It's, uh, it's slightly long, and I want to, uh, it's a couple of slides, but I want to read it, and you can follow along as we go here. Notice this statement from Patriarchs and Prophets. It says, the message of God came to Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. In order that God might qualify him for his, his great work as the keeper of the sacred oracles, Abraham must be separated from the associations of his early life. The influence of kindred and friends would interfere with the training which the Lord purposed to give his servant. Now that Abraham was, in a special sense, connected with heaven, he must dwell among strangers. Now, this is interesting because probably many of you, if not most of you, have been raised in a godly, hopefully godly, Adventist Christian home. Abraham didn't have that experience. He was raised in paganism, basically. He was raised in heathenism. And he had all these practices and cultures that were worked into himself, uh, into his mind and into his heart. And God says, I've got to remove this man. He saw in Abraham a spark of, of truth and integrity that, that he used as a foundation. So he drew Abraham out and away from those associations so that he could retrain him. And I would propose to you today that there's a lot of worldly culture and, and worldly practice that have kind of overflowed into all of our lives, including the pastor here, that God is going to have to remove from our hearts. And he's going to do it through isolation, just like he did with Abraham. That's why he's giving us this time. I'm going on here. I could say more, but we're going to move on. His character must be peculiar, differing from all the world. He could not even explain his course of action so as to be understood by his friends. Sometimes you have to take action with your friends. You have to make choices and decline certain invitations and decline certain activities because you know that God is not calling you to do those things. God is not calling you to participate in certain uh, activities of the world. Though your friends who are also Adventists, they may or may not be Adventists, but even if they are Adventists, your friends may not understand. Abraham understood that God was calling him to a life that other people may not understand. And he's doing the same for you and I today. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And his motives and actions were not comprehended by his idolatrous kindred. Some of us have Adventist friends who are, may not be any more spiritual than the, than the unchristian friends that we have. <laughs> and we have to discern not what they say to us that we should do, but we have to discern what is God saying to me through his word and through the prayers that I pray. What is he saying to me? about the actions, the decisions, and the course that my life should take? That's a serious question for each of us. Uh, for some reason, this keeps going into... Oh, there we go. By faith, 
by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. Abraham's unquestioning obedience is one of the most striking evidences of faith to be found in all the Bible. Notice that. Take note of that. Let me read that sentence again. Abraham's unquestioning obedience is one of the most striking evidences of faith to be found in all of the Bible. To him, faith was the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Abraham didn't see anything when God called him, yet he still followed and went. Relying upon the divine promise without the least outward assurance of its fulfillment, he abandoned home and kindred and native land and went forth, he knew not where, to follow where God should lead. Now, I want you to notice this. That Abraham, when God said, get out of your country and go, Abraham didn't say, say, Lord, you know, some of us have a checklist for marriage. Some of you that are not married. I, I talk to young people all the time and they say, you know, I've told God that I have this checklist. I want the man to be tall and handsome. I want him to be smart. He must have a degree. He must have his own place when he asked me. He can't be living with his parents. He must be spiritual. He must be have this color of eyes. He must have this color of hair. And we have all these checklists. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I, I, you know, young people come to me all the time and they say, uh, you know, this is my checklist. Abraham didn't have a checklist here. He didn't say to God, is this place that I'm going going to be comfortable? Is the path to get there going to be easy? Am I going to be wealthy when I get there? Am I going to have, you know, lots of land? Are you going to give me lots of property, lots of livestock? He didn't ask any of those questions. And God didn't tell him anything about it. He just said, go. And Abraham went. And today, the first thing that comes to our mind when, when we think God's calling us to a place, what am I going to have to give up? What am I going to have to suffer? What am I going to have to experience? And I'll tell you, that's the wrong attitude. I say it with a smile, but it's the wrong attitude. Not what God is looking for. Now, I want you to notice this. Um, well, I, I mentioned this. I'm going to slip on for time's sake, but I'll just say this part, this first sentence. It was no light test that was thus brought upon Abraham. No small sacrifice that was required of him. He had strong ties to his country, but he didn't hesitate to obey. He didn't stop to question or ask whether the soil was fertile, etc. He just went. And notice the last sentence. He knew he must obey. The happiest place on earth for him was the place where God would have him to be. Is that true of you today? If God called you to give up all of your comforts and he get, called you to give up all of your plans, all of your plans, all of your ways, would you... Do you think that you could still be happy? I would say the answer to that is no. You would not be happy. And the reason for that is because you would be much happier following what God says rather than your own ways. You won't just be happy. You'll be happier. Now, here is the call for us. This is the last slide on this quote. But here is the call to us today. Notice what she says. Many are still tested, as was Abraham. 
Now, who would that be? That wouldn't be your friends. That would be you. It is your friends, but it's also you. They do not hear the voice of God speaking directly from the heavens, but he calls them in the teaching of his word and the events of his providence. I'm going to say, I'm going to replace they with we and us. We may be required to abandon a career that promises wealth and honor to leave congenial and profitable associations and separate from kindred in order to enter upon what appears to be only a path of self-denial, hardship, and sacrifice. God has a work for us to do, but a life of ease and the influence of friends and kindred would hinder the development of the very traits essential for its accomplishment. He calls us away from human influences and aid and leads us to feel the need of his help and to depend upon him alone that he may reveal himself to us. Now, that's a pretty powerful statement, wouldn't you say? Now, that doesn't mean that God is calling every one of us to quit school, to quit our jobs, and to go be a missionary in foreign lands. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying that he may be, but even if he's not calling us to do that, we are called to disassociate ourselves from the world wherever we are. That doesn't mean we become monks. We still live in the world and with the world, but we're not of the world. And he's calling each of us to live our lives, whether we have a great prosperous job or not, to live all of our lives with everything that we possess upon the altar. Does that make sense? He's calling for us to do all of that, whether he calls us to a foreign land or not, and to live our lives in harmony with the will of heaven. Who is ready? I thought that was the last, last one. Who is ready at the call of providence to renounce cherished plans and familiar associations? Who will accept new duties and enter untried fields doing God's work with firm and willing heart for Christ's sake, counting his losses gain? He who will do this has the faith of Abraham and will share with him that great and far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Isn't that powerful? That's the promise. God gave Abraham a promise, and he gives you and I a promise right here that I've showed you. Very powerful. So as a result of Abraham's willingness to be in lockdown with God, a, the line of the Messiah was established to save the world. And indeed, because of this, because of the covenant that God made with Abraham and Abraham received, you and I are able to enter into that covenant of peace with Christ. And indeed, all the nations of the earth have been blessed because of Abraham. I mean, we're thankful that Abraham was willing to accept his lockdown. Amen? Amen. Let's go on here to Daniel. And uh, this one won't be as long as Abraham was. But if you look with me in the book of Daniel, we find another lockdown. And this is one that each of you have known since you were a kid. And uh, the story of Daniel the lion's den, and it's a very powerful example of what you and I will experience at the end of time. Uh, but also, it's, a, it's kind of a foreshadowing of what Christ experienced. So I'm going to read all of these verses. Uh, you can go back and read them, but I'm going to just jump to a couple. But we're going to start here in verse 10, and it says, now you know the background of the story, the, all, uh, Daniel was appointed as a governor, and the other people became jealous, and so they tried to set Daniel up, and they got the king to sign the law, and they tricked him, and you know 
all of that background. But uh, starting here in verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, the law that said you can't pray for 30 days except to the king, he went home. And in his upper room, notice there, he went home. <laughs> We're all stuck at home right now. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his, on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And notice the last line here, as was his custom since early days. Daniel was, in a sense, put on lockdown for prayer. You could only pray to the king, and Daniel was not willing to do that. You know, Ellen White says about Daniel that the reason he was able to stand firm and speak boldly to the king was because he bowed low to the God of heaven. And if you bow low to the God of heaven, you can stand tall and erect and speak boldly to any king or emperor on the earth. And she said that Daniel was more afraid of dishonoring his God than he was even losing his earthly life. Now, that's pretty powerful. Now, here's an example where Daniel broke the lockdown because it says he couldn't pray for 30 days. But he went up to his room. He went home. He obeyed the stay-at-home order. But he opened his windows towards heaven and he prays. But notice here, you know, in America here, we have a lot of rebellious people. And, our, and, and I know that Adam and I joke about this a lot. And uh, he says, man, you Americans, you're just rebellious and you wave your flags and you do your thing. But it's very funny here because, you know, we have this always this controversy about prayer in public schools. And they will make policies that say, oh, you can't pray in school. And what happens is the next day after uh, they'll make these kind of announcements or, or, or rules. Young people will come and they'll have these t-shirts on that says, we'll pray in schools no matter what or whatever. And then they'll all gather and they'll pray when previously none of them had ever had any interest in praying about anything. But all of a sudden, because somebody tells you, you can't do that. Now we want to rebel. We want to do it because we think our freedoms are taken away. Well, when they had the freedom to do it before, but they didn't exercise it. Does that make sense? But this was not the attitude of Daniel. Daniel, it says, goes up and prays, as was his custom since early days. And friends, Daniel did not wait until the crisis to start trusting in God, to start getting serious about his relationship with God. Daniel knew that a crisis was coming. When it was coming, he did not know. He was already in a crisis. He, he had been stripped away from his family, but he continued this practice. And really, when this law was signed, Daniel was just continuing doing what he had always done in his life. He did not change a thing. In this lockdown, you're going to do what you've already been doing. If you've already been praying and witnessing and studying your Bible and memorizing scripture and doing all these things, it's not going to really bother you what happens outside. You're going to just carry on with what you've normally been doing. But if you have not been having a relationship with God, then this crisis outside in the world is going to bring a crisis in your heart. Does that make sense? 
Daniel did not feel any type of crisis. He just carried on with what he was already accustomed to. His relationship was, with God was not on trial. He did not, though there was a crisis in the kingdom, there was not a crisis in his own heart. The only crisis he had was fear that he himself would break the relationship that he had with God. And so he went back, and you know the story, he was brought to the lion's den. And I want to challenge you today that your experience with God would strengthen through this. And that you would carry on with your relationship with God and not be hindered by it. But I want to point out one thing, that, that when the crisis came, even the pagans recognized the, the, the faith that Daniel had. And even the pagans, the pagan king was strengthened because of the faith of Daniel. And his heart was drawn more and more to the creator. So Daniel was a witness even as he was going to his supposed death. I mean, it's powerful. Many of us have been a witness during this trial, but maybe not so much a witness for God as a witness against God. <laughs> Our actions have been not the best. But notice here in verse 16. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Here is a pagan God having more confidence in the God of Daniel, a pagan king, I meant to say. Here's a pagan king having more confidence in, in, in Daniel's God than many of us have today as Seventh-day Adventists in our God. I mean, think about what the king was saying here. Daniel was being lowered into a pit of lions, hungry lions. And a pagan king says about Daniel's God, your God is going to deliver you. <laughs> I mean, this is incredible. A pagan king saying, I believe your God can save you, even though we're about to put you in a lions that would tear you apart. How can that be? Now Daniel goes in, the tomb is sealed, the rock is put over, just like it was with Christ. Christ was put in the tomb and, and the rock was sealed. Daniel was alone in lockdown. Now you think your lockdown is bad. Look at Daniel's lockdown. <laughs> I don't know how many of us would enjoy that kind of lockdown. But Daniel is in a dark pit with lions breathing on his neck with an angel holding their mouths closed. I think we're alone in our houses with our iPads and our iPhones and still able to have connection with the outside world, though not in person. We got plenty of food to eat and we don't have hot breath on our neck. I think we're doing pretty good. How many of you think that's we're doing pretty good still, right? <laughs> Amen. And uh, but notice here in verse uh, 20, you know, the king goes to goes to his room that night he doesn't sleep he doesn't have his fancy food he doesn't have the musicians he's awake all night and notice verse 20 when he came to the den this is the king the next day verse 19 it says he rose early and went in haste to the den of lions and when he came to the den he cried out with a lamenting voice to daniel the king spoke saying to daniel daniel servant of the living god has your god whom you serve continually notice he he says the same thing again been able to deliver you from the lions 
Daniel said, live forever, O king. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Notice how, what, notice how Daniel goes into his lockdown. The king express, makes an expression of faith before Daniel goes in. And he makes the same expression of faith after Daniel is in and he's about to come out. Isn't that interesting? He says, your God whom you serve continually, he was able to deliver you. He says the same thing that he says before Daniel goes in. And so because of the faith of the king and the prayers of Daniel and the faith of Daniel, and I don't know if there were others, God spared his life. And I think that that's very profound, that because of the example of Daniel, because he was willing to die for his faith, more importantly, though, because Daniel was willing to live for his faith. When he went up to the prayer room and prayed three times the same way, Daniel was living for his faith. He was living for his faith. And because he was willing to live for Jesus, he had no problem dying for Jesus. You see, the people at the end of time who will defect and, and who will leave the church, we're told, during the great shaking. They'll leave the church, and then they'll become our greatest persecutors. We're told this. It would be those people who had not lived for their faith. It will be the people that live for their faith now who will be those who will be able to stand tall and strong before the world when the, Christ, when the ultimate crisis comes. And we find a miniature picture of this in the book of Daniel. You know, the last six chapters of Daniel talk about the prophecies at the end of time, many of which we're living in now and will continue to live in the future. But the first six chapters of Daniel are actually scenarios that God's people will be finding themselves in at the end of time. And it gives examples to the life of Daniel and his friends of how they should live and respond in those crises. Does that make sense? And so this example of Daniel is an example for us today. Amen. And through the grace of God, we can instill and inspire faith in the people around us that do not know the God of heaven the way that we know him, who do not love him. We can inspire faith, hope, love, and courage in their hearts and lead them to Christ by our example. So because of Daniel's lockdown, an emperor and an entire kingdom were turned to God, and a model was established for God's people living at the end of time. Are you thankful for that today? Let's move on. I don't want to, uh, we need to move a little more quickly here. The third example is Jesus. If you look in Matthew chapter 26 and uh, verse 36, we're going to jump there first. Matthew chapter 36 and ver through, through 46, Jesus endured many lockdowns for you and I. The first lockdown he experienced was coming to this world as a man, as a baby. But then we're going to hone in on one specifically here. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And so Christ began to enter into this lockdown. And this lockdown was not like our lockdown. This lockdown was a 
a, a, a beginning of the suffering from the weight of sin and the greatest isolation that Christ experienced was his father, not so much his disciples, even though that was an isolation. They fell asleep and Christ was left alone. <laughs> Can you imagine? But you and I would have done the same. But he was being isolated from his father in heaven. The spirit of God was being withdrawn from him. The father was turning his face away and he was experiencing the great weight and isolation of sin. And he said his, his soul was sorrowful even unto death. And he was beginning to die at that point. And he was being ripped away from the rest of the Trinity, the Father and the Spirit, for the first time in eternity, a separation was taking place. You can imagine the weight that Christ carried. And why did he carry that weight? Because of his love for you and I. His love for you and I. Now, if you jump over to chapter 27, the next chapter, verse 45, it says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lama and, and Sabbatonishti, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine the living Christ, the son of God, saying to his own father, why have you forsaken me? Why? And he knew the answer. But the anguish was so great as he was upon the cross and, and previously in the Garden of Gethsemane that he felt like he was going to a grave that he would never return from. And that's the power and the weight of sin. I want to challenge you today to go and read two chapters from the book Desire of Ages. You can write them down. The chapter called very simply Gethsemane. And then the chapter called Calvary. I forget the numbers. I think one is 78, one is 74 or something. But it's in the 70s, I believe. Gethsemane and Calvary. And you will gain a clear, fresh picture of the sufferings of Christ in his lockdown and isolation. And friends, you will enter into the experience with him through the reading of those pages that I believe will transform your heart. The first time I ever read those chapters, I wept for, for, for over an hour to know the experience that Christ endured, not for himself, not for anyone else, except for a people who often hate and scorn and reject him. That's pretty profound. It'll transform your life. But to know that Christ went through the greatest lockdown, the greatest isolation, because he experienced the second death in Gethsemane and on the cross for your salvation and mine. Now, I want to read this statement here from Selected Messages. And um, I need to move this over so I can see. It says, some may think that Christ, because he was the Son of God, did not have temptations as we now have. However, the scriptures say he was tempted in all points like we are tempted yet without sin. If this were not so, he could not fully identify with us. The temptations of Christ and his sufferings under them were proportionate to his exalted and sinless character and were a terrible reality. In his conflict in the wilderness, the humanity of Christ was taxed 
as none will ever know. I mean, you think about that. You do not have a temptation, a trial, or a difficulty today that is any greater than what Christ experienced. Does that make sense? He experienced greater than you and I will ever know, and he did it for us. And uh, it says, as he bowed in Gethsemane, his soul in agony, drops of blood fell from his pores and moistened the sides of the earth. You know, in Hebrews, uh, Paul says, you have not strived unto blood. <laughs> and that's what he's talking about. Christ did that. We have not yet, but we will. He resisted unto blood in that hour when the fear of moral failure was a fear of death, not just his death, but all of our deaths. Upon the cross, Christ knew, as no other can know, the awful power of Satan's temptations. Never was another of woman born who was so fiercely beset by temptation. What does that say to you and I? That Christ understands all that we go through. When we're in this lockdown, when we're in this experience, he understands because his lockdown was greater. We have nothing or very little to complain about and everything to rejoice about. And so the biblical lockdown of Christ brought your salvation and it brought mine. How many of you are thankful for that today? What a joy that is. Now, quickly, number four, disciples. I'm not going to look up all these verses, but if you'll just turn to Acts chapter one, the disciples experienced the lockdown. You know, after uh, Christ was taken away, the Bible says that they were scattered and they were left to themselves and they were all off thinking about the experience that they had just had. In John chapter 20, uh, verse 19 through 22, it says, actually, I'm just going to read that because uh, I think it's very important. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. Look here. It says, on the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst. And so the disciples were also on a lockdown. They locked themselves into a room because they were afraid that the Pharisees would do the same thing to them that they had done to Jesus. And so they locked themselves away. But in the midst of that lockdown, Jesus came to them. I mean, you can say that. <laughs> and in the midst of our lockdown, Jesus is also going to come to us if he hasn't already. And notice what he does here. It says, he says to them, peace be unto you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So he appeared to them and he said, peace be unto you. In our lockdown, I believe Jesus is going to draw close to us. If you'll let him, if you'll not complain and murmur and, and, and just be in a bad attitude, if your heart will be open, Jesus will draw to you during this time, and he's going to bring his peace to you, and he's going to reveal himself. Notice it says he showed him his hands and his side, so he reminded them of the suffering that he experienced. In the midst of our suffering, if we will look to Christ and remember what he suffered, our suffering will be lightened. Amen? And when it says, when they saw his hands and his sides, they were glad. And when he, we look to him in our crisis, he will first bring us peace, 
and then he will be bring us glad. So instead of Adventist, we can become Gladventist. Amen. And uh, we want to become Gladventist, not Badventist. <laughs> and that leads us to truly become Adventist. <laughs> but then if you notice here, he brought peace. And then as they look to his suffering instead of their own, he brought gladness. And then Jesus says to them in verse 21, peace to you as the father sent me, so I send you. So after he gave them his peace, after he reminded them that they should ultimately look to him in all their suffering, after he brought gladness to their hearts, then what did he do for them? He said, I'm sending you on a mission. You have a mission to accomplish for my glory. Now, we're not going to turn here, but in Acts chapter 1, you can go back and read it. The disciples, after Jesus ascended up, they actually went into a volunteer, self-initiated lockdown. You know what that was? The 10 days in the upper room, right? They went up there and they prayed and they fasted and they studied and they, they, they pleaded with God to send the spirit of God to revive their hearts and do something great for them. And he did that. After 10 days, we know the story, he sent the Holy Spirit and they went forth and they told the world about Christ. Now, I want you to notice this statement here from the book acts of the apostles one short sentence during this voluntary lockdown this is what happened one interest prevailed one subject of emulation swallowed up all others the ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom what was their interest in that lockdown it was preparation to reveal Christ to the entire world. <laughs> what are you doing today in the lockdown that you're experiencing? You are not experiencing anything that people of the past have not experienced. In fact, many of theirs was worse. And what are we doing? Are we pleading with God for the spirit to be poured out in the latter rain? Are we asking God to change our hearts and refine our characters? Are we asking him to fit and equip us to reach the world for Christ? You know, you can reach the world for Christ even in lockdown. You have Facebook, you have Instagram, you have Twitter, you have all kinds of social media. You can be posting the truth on there. Instead of putting Snapchats of your food, put Snapchats of the scripture, amen, and reveal Christ to other people. You can mail glow tracks to your neighbors. I don't know how you can get the addresses of your neighbors. We have phone books here. I don't know how you have it there, but you have something. You can mail glow tracks with a letter written to them. You can do all kinds of things still to be a witness right from your house during lockdown. Is this interest of revealing Christ to the world as true to you as it was to the disciples? It's my prayer that it was. Are you pleading with God on how you can enlarge his kingdom? That's what the disciples did. And that's what we have the privilege of doing. If we're going to be spiritual men and women about this thing. 
Now, the last one, the result was that the disciples went into all the world and they preached the gospel. The last one, quickly, uh, this is a short one, but in Revelation chapter 10, it actually describes our movement today. We went from Abraham to Daniel. We could talk about the Israelites being in isolation in the desert, the wilderness. We could talk about all kinds of examples, but now we stretch it down to our day. We fit into this biblical picture. Amen. We fit into this. It's very powerful. Revelation chapter 10, verse 10 and 11. And this Revelation chapter 10, in case you didn't know, describes the, ri the prophetic rise of the Seventh-day Adventist church. So when you read Revelation 10, you're reading about yourself. You're reading about your church. You're reading about the Seventh-day Adventist church in modern times. How I many you can say amen to that? So we're not just reading when we study the Bible about events thousands of years ago. We're reading about events happening today. But verse, uh, you can, the whole chapter, there's a great disappointment that takes place. The, the, the book that Dan, uh, John asked from the angel, he said it will be sweet in your mouth and bitter in your stomach. And he eats it. And you can go back and study what all that means. There's other studies. But notice verse 10. Then I look, took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And so he took the book, which was the Advent believers studying the book of Daniel, and he ate it. It was sweet in the mouth because they believed that Jesus was coming soon, but it was bitter in the belly. Why? Because Jesus did not come, correct? And they had a great disappointment that, that we're well familiar with. But they, and they virtually isolated themselves from the world because the world was mocking them so severely that they couldn't even stand it. So they withdrew and they isolated and they mourned and they wept and they cried bitterly because Jesus had not come. But hope and faith and the Spirit of God moved upon them. And they began to study the Scripture, and they began to see where they went wrong. And in fact, they saw also that just like the disciples, God had allowed them to experience a disappointment that he turned into a divine appointment. Amen? And so as they locked themselves down first in disappointment, God began to work, and it became his appointment. They realized that they did have the truth, just like the disciples did. They were disappointed when Jesus was hung up on the cross. They wanted him to be king. But when he resurrected, they had their disappointment uh, turned into joy. And that's what God did for the Advent pioneers. And they found, after that disappointment, that God had a great mission for them. He said, you must prophesy again about many people, nations, and tongues, and kings. And so they realized that God had given them a mission, and that was to carry the three angels' messages into the entire world. And God would complete the gospel in humanity, and the world would be prepared for Jesus' return. I'm very thankful that we're a part of an Advent movement. Amen? And as we come out of this lockdown, just like they came out of their lockdown, God has a mission 
for us to do as well. He has a mission both in the lockdown and then after we come out of the lockdown. And the question is not, what is God doing? When can we get back to normal? But the question to ask is, am I, are you going to respond to God's call in your life to, to, to live for him completely and totally and to be a part of carrying that message? And I want to look at one more thing here and then we're going to close. Hebrews chapter 11. And the question is, why did all of these groups, Abraham, Daniel, Jesus, the disciples, the Advent pioneers, and the same must be true for us today, why did they and why should we not despise a quarantine, a lockdown, and isolation? Why should we not? Uh, quickly, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 and on, notice what it said. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embracing them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that we seek a homeland. And truly, if they called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Listen, friends, the reason that we should not complain about this lockdown is we realize this world is not our home. We are looking for a better country. We are looking for God's promises to be fulfilled in us. And if we complain and languish and become disappointed because of all of the earthly pleasures and joys and privileges that we have, because those things are taken away from us, maybe now temporarily, but ultimately permanently, if we complain about that, literally it demonstrates that we are too attached to this world, that we are living for the things of this life, the things of this world, rather than looking to that better country that God has prepared for us. And it doesn't mean that we should be that we take pleasure in persecution, or we take pleasure in lockdown, or we take, it doesn't mean that we should just rejoice that I don't get to eat at my favorite restaurant. But what it does mean is that our hearts can still be full of joy. We don't need to murmur and complain. We recognize that God is calling us to be focused. We recognize that God has a mission for us in the midst of crisis. He has a mission. And as we look to Him, our greatest joys will be experienced, and we will have a greater pleasure, a greater peace, a greater joy through our experience and relationship with Christ than anything this world can give us. And when it's taken away, we just see it as a sign that Jesus is coming soon. And he goes on and says, therefore, in verse chapter 12, verse 1, let us lay aside every sin and every weight that ensnares us, looking unto Jesus, unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And when we look to Jesus, very simply, it really doesn't seem all that bad, does it? <laughs> so friends, today my appeal to you is to look to Jesus. And in every biblical lockdown, 
including the lockdown that our Adventist pioneers experienced. God, if you give him the opportunity by opening your heart, has a way of changing you and making your character more like his and shining through you to reveal that to the world. The experience that you have in this and after this is not determined by your external circumstances. It's not determined by what your governor does or your president does or what the state does. It's determined by the choice that you make in your own heart about how you will respond to whatever is put at you. And if you're, if you are struggling, if you are crumbling under this, then maybe you need to go to God on your knees and ask him to revive your heart because you will not make it in the final crisis. And I'm not saying it's about being tough. It's about being dependent upon him who is able to give you the strength. You don't have the strength, no matter how strong you are. And I don't have the strength to endure, but surely the God of heaven does. And he has promised to give it to us today just like he has all of the people of history and our Advent pioneers. And all heaven is watching to see how we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians will respond to this crisis. Will we look to God or will we look to ourselves or to some attachment in this world? I pray today that each of us will turn to him. In every quarantine, those quarantined were brought closer to the heart of God than they had ever been before, and their characters became more like his, thus blessing the world with the image of his glory. And in every quarantine, a mission was given by God to his people to reveal his character and message of salvation to the world. I'm going to quickly close with this story. There was a sister, I just went on a mission trip to Cuba uh, just back in March, and uh, the area that I served was the highest level of witchcraft and sorcery in the entire island of Cuba. And this lady right here was in her 80s. But back in the 1960s, she went to this territory by herself alone and essentially was on a lockdown and isolation. And she moved to this area and she began to pray and ask God to change her heart and change her life so that she could reach the people of that area. She began to visit the neighbors and the friends uh, uh, in her little village there. She began to talk to them and meet their needs and help them and bless them using Christ's method. And then she began to invite them to do Bible studies. And when she began to study with a number of them, a number of them expressed interest in baptism. And by the grace of God, she by herself established the very first church in that little area. And I preached in that little church. It was a very small church. It was made from scrap wood and it had an old rusty tin roof. And you could see through every crack in the in between the boards outside. It was a very primitive little church. But I had the privilege to preach in that church, and 19 souls gave their lives to the Lord through baptism, and several more made decisions for baptism in the future. And it all began, not because of me, but it all began with this little lady who was willing to go by herself to minister, and she had a burden for the souls in that territory.
And friends, God has a territory for you. He has a mission for you. He's placed you in your neighborhood and in your community and in your home for such a time as this to minister to the friends and family that you have in the area and to lead them to Christ. So the question as we close and have prayer, the question is, what will you do as a result of your quarantine with God? What will you allow him to do with this time that you have with him? What will you allow him to do both in you and through you? He wants to use you in a mighty way, but it's going to be up to you. And I want to appeal to you today. Will you surrender yourself to him? Will you give yourself to him? Will you allow your life to be molded and shaped into all that he wants it to be? What will you be willing to give up today for him? What attachment to this world has he laid upon your heart? What has he been convicting you about? And he's calling you right now to a moment of decision. And I want to invite you to bow your head wherever you are. I'm just going to pray for you. And in your own heart, that you would make the decision to give God whatever he wants. He wants your heart. So first give that to him. But give him all the worldly attachments that you know have been holding you back from a full experience with him. Be willing right now, friends, as all of these examples before have, and let that be something that you completely put in his hands today. As we pray, if you want to make that decision, if you just raise your hand wherever you are, nobody's seen that. It's just for your own uh, firmness in your decision. But raise your hand as we pray, if that's your decision today. Father in heaven, as we pray together, I want to ask your spirit now to touch every heart, to bring conviction, to bring a decision to each of us that we would surrender ourselves to you so that the spirit of God can be poured out upon us wherever we are. And Lord, we don't have to be gathered in groups for the spirit to be poured out. We can be isolated in our homes and you can work through whatever measure you, that we are faced with. But I pray today that we'd surrender ourselves to you. Uh, the common denominator for all of these people that we studied today, including the modern ones, was a complete surrender of, of heart and soul to you. And I pray that each one today would make that decision that they'd let go of earthly attachments, whether it's a relationship that they shouldn't be in, whether it's uh, friends that uh, lead them into activities they shouldn't be in, whether it's, it's a timidness to not share the, their faith, whatever it is, Lord, whether it's entertainment or media, uh, it doesn't matter, Lord. It can be secret sins. It can be big or small, but you know them all. And you have a, a, a great desire to take those away to set us free so that we can live in freedom of Christ and walk in the freedom of the spirit that you want to give us. So we pray this here today and may our lives be in your hands to mold us, shape us, and use us to reveal your glory and your son to the world that it might be saved through him. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.